go, what is up, and welcome to another episode of Ambitious with Dylan Price. I'm your host, Dylan Price, and today's episode is a very good one. I stepped out of my comfort zone a little bit with this week's episode. I interviewed Pink, the Border Collie, and her trainer, and it was a real cool experience, and uh, I, I tried to educate myself on a sport I'm very unfamiliar with, and truly, it does deserve a lot more respect. So we talked about that, and we talked about the kind of level of competition she's involved in, because she's involved in a lot of high-level competition, and she's an absolute champion and starting to build a legacy reminiscent of the Patriots in the uh, competition dog showing world. So that was a cool experience to educate myself more on some sports outside of my normal realm. I also sat down with Andrew Lounsbury and Brandon Mancroney for this week's edition of Senior Spotlight. So it's a good episode. Hope you guys enjoy and it will begin after a quick word from our presenting sponsor, Anchor. Yo, what is up? Welcome to Ambitious. My name is Dylan Price. Today's episode is unlike one I've never done before. Today's guest is Jennifer Crank, the trainer, and Pink, the border collie. Pink is a 2020 Westminster's Masters Agility Champ, three-time Westminster 16 class winner, 2019 Grand Prix National Champ, 2018 NAC and Purina IDC winner. A very accomplished dog and a very accomplished trainer. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm very excited. Thanks for coming on. So I'm starting right out. I am very unfamiliar to the dog competing and dog competition world. I did educate myself slightly before this interview and watched a few clips of Pink and you guys training and everything. And I have to say, not only is it a workout for the dog, it looks like it's a workout for the trainer too. Called agility for a reason. Yeah, both of us getting a little bit of a workout, although she's the one that does all of the hard work and she just makes me look good. <laughs> so, how long have you been into training? So, I've been competing in agility for a very long time. Um, I got my first competition title in 1994, long before you were even born. <laughs> so, I've been doing agility a very long time. Um, I have been competing, I guess I should say, for a very long time, but it, it wasn't until I graduated college with a business degree that I went into teaching agility um, kind of as a profession. So I've uh, been doing it for many years, and Pink has been doing it her entire life. So I got her at eight weeks old, and she just turned five uh, this past month. So she has been doing it for, you know, pretty much her entire life. Now, when... Did you guys start training together right away? Yeah, pretty much right away. Um, when we get the puppies, uh, typically I try to get my dog somewhere between like 8 and 12 weeks old. And the first year of their life is just a lot of like relationship building and games and um, kind of learning how to learn. Um, we're very careful with agility not to start them on too much of the equipment and too much of the jumping and the weaving and the climbing until they're a little bit older just so that we don't risk injuries. So we want to make sure that they're fully developed and fully grown before we start doing a lot of the heavy training. So we usually start that somewhere between about 10 and 12 months old. Now, I assume Pink's in incredible shape to be able to do what she's doing, but I mentioned in the beginning, but you must be in very good shape yourself to be able to run through the course with them and then have to direct them and everything as well. Yeah, there's a big part of it that is the handler's ability to communicate to the dog where to go. So one of the things that a lot of people don't know is that we never are allowed to run the same course twice. So we have no idea what course we're going to run when we show up that day. 
So a lot of our responsibility as a handler is to run with the dog and be able to do various handling moves and various crosses to keep up with the dog and communicate with them on course. So, of course, the quicker the dog is, and Pink's being really incredible, I do put a decent amount of effort into my personal condition to try to be able to keep up with her the best I can, to communicate with her the best I can. And in instances when I can't be there, that's where we use a lot of our verbal communication. So a lot of her different um, verbal commands that tell her exactly which way to go, being able to turn left and turn right, um, and do the various pieces of equipment. Now, kind of walk me through what goes into a regular day of training for, say, you and Pink. A regular day of training actually is relatively mild. It's not what uh, I know many of your listeners are probably used to, these long training camps or these long days or these mock games. Um, For the dogs, it's actually multiple short sessions is more ideal than anything. So much of it is the physical part, but also the mental task of learning a new technique or learning a new move. So if I had my way, I'd like to do maybe three five to ten minute sessions in a day um and that's not every day i would say maybe five days a week um and then there will be occasional situations where we have full day training so we'll have a seminar presenter come in um or we'll be doing a training day as we prep for our international competitions where we might have a full weekend um a saturday and sunday an eight day or eight hours a day of training um but that might be where you're one of 10 different dogs or 12 different dogs so you're taking breaks so it's actually not as intense as what a lot of people think um we try to focus on the quality education more than the uh, quantity of it so I would say if pink is 30 minutes of training five times a week maybe even four times a week at this point that's been a pretty good week for us now is pink's regular life just like any other dog when she's not training yep pretty much just like (laughs) any other dog she loves to chase squirrels that's one of her all-time favorite things (laughs) she likes to go swimming Uh, we go on a lot of hikes um going out in the yard and running oh she loves frisbee she's uh, actually had could have been a really really good frisbee dog but we just excelled at agility a little bit more um than that so yeah she's in the house sleeps on the bed goes where she wants uh, very very normal life outside of her agility career now what is the overall um i guess career length for a com- competition dog It depends a little bit on the size of the dog. Um, The larger dogs aren't going to necessarily have as long of a career because they've got more mass, they've got more size, they're harder on their body. Um, For some of the smaller dogs or the dogs that are very agile, and I would put pink into that category, I would expect her to be running agility till probably 10 or 11, maybe even 12, depending on how, if we can keep her free of injuries. And I would say she's probably going to stay competitive until 9 or 10. Now, I don't think all of the dogs will stay competitive that long, but she is such a spectacular athlete. She is just so quick and so incredible that, again, if we can keep her free of injuries, um, we're probably looking at staying pretty competitive for quite a while, or at least that's my hope. 
So you mentioned like staying competitive and then probably a time where you do competitions and maybe she's not as competitive. So kind of like putting it in perspective of an NFL or an MLB athlete, which are more typical athletes that come on the show. So their career peak is, say, in the range of like 26 to like 33. So in terms of a dog years, what would you say like the peak of Pink's career is for physically? I would typically say five to seven. That's kind of my standard answer for most dogs of both my personal experience with my dogs, um, but also working with a lot of other um, students. I would say five to seven because you get a lot of the really raw speed at the really young ages when they're two or they're three or they're four. They're really quick. They're really fast, but they're also a little more wild. They're not as controlled. Their technique is not as um, clean. They have more mistakes. By the time you're getting close to five and six years old, they're now seasoned enough that the technique comes a lot easier. And while they may not have as much raw speed, they're making up for it in their efficiency of how they run and their efficiency of how they handle their turns. So it's very common to see dogs really hit hit the peak of their career um, around five, six, seven years old. Obviously, some dogs are going to err on, you know, either side of that. But I think that's a safe average. So, is com- or competitions for dogs, is it more like a, say, like, PGA Tour schedule where you have, like, a competition every weekend or for a couple days, or is it more of a, you know, NBA schedule where there's a competition, like, every couple days or every two days or kind of thing, or is it a week-by-week thing, like an NFL kind of schedule? We will typically have the ability to compete every single weekend. So um, I'm from Ohio. I can stay within a two-hour radius of my home and go to a competition almost every single weekend of the year, including holidays. Um, And most of our competitions, not all of them, but most of them are three days. So they're typically a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Now, for me personally, looking at the kind of the track that Pink is going on, we're kind of gearing towards more of the larger competitions. Um, we're traveling overseas and competing at uh, world competitions and international wow. competitions. Uh, we're focusing on trying to peak at the national events that are here within the United States. So I don't do as much of the smaller shows. I don't do as many of the the low-key local shows that would be really close. Um, I will take the time off from those spend the time training and getting her stronger, getting her faster, getting her better, and then save her up for the larger show. So I would say um, a bulk of our career or bulk of our season, excuse me, is probably from about December 1st to the very end of March. We're pretty consistently going every other weekend or three weekends out of a month for those months. Um, At the end of March, we have our national championships. And then I spend the spring and summer prepping for all of the international events. So I'm not doing as much uh, competition locally. I'm doing a lot more training to get ready for those really big events. So when, when the, I guess, competition season, is it more of like a like playoff style where you have to win a certain competition to get into the bigger competitions? Or is it just if you register and you can meet a competition standard, you get in? championship you have to have so many qualifications over a year's uh, time period so you have to attend so many local shows and have so many qualifying scores it's not anything that I would say 
say is ridiculously insane to try to accomplish. Um, but you, you do have to have some qualifications. It's just not really that difficult. So um, a lot of people can, can just do their normal showing and throughout the year will get the qualifications to, to allow them to be eligible for nationals. Um, other people have to work a little harder at it. But you can't just show up. Uh, you can't just register and show up. You do have to be doing some competing, and all the competing that you have to be doing does have to be at the highest level. So we have various levels of competition. When a dog is starting out, you would start in the lower levels, and then you graduate based on your scores and your rankings. You would move up in level, and your qualifications to go to a big national event like that do have to come from the highest level. So there are some qualifications. It's not totally an open for most of the national championships. Now, what is, I guess, say the Super Bowl of dog competition? I think Westminster is probably the largest uh, known dog competition Mm -hmm. for agility that we have here in the United States. Um, It's a relatively new addition to Westminster. Westminster's been around, uh, this was the 144th year, but this is only the seventh year for agility. So agility is kind of new to Westminster, and it has really done a lot to teach people about agility, show people about agility. I think people think, oh, dog competitions, this is boring. They're going to make the dogs look beautiful and prance around the ring. But really, I think agility is really about the athleticism. It's about the speed. It's about the communication, the turns, being quick on your feet and and running that course as fast as you can. Um, And I think Westminster is the biggest thing that we have for the general public to see, for the the largest audience to see here in the United States. And that's what was so cool about Pink winning this year. Um, Even though she's won her division for three consecutive years, the only three years she's been, she's won. This year, she actually grabbed the title of the overall winner and became the 2020 Masters Agility Champion. Now, is the goal now to build a dynasty and continue to build on that legacy and become the greatest of all time of those competitions? <laughs> yeah, certainly. Um, certainly, that is a goal, is trying to uh, repeat the performance. Um, Agility's been in Westminster for seven years. We have not had a repeat winner for the overall award. Um You know, Pink was four when she won. I think that, you know, a young dog with a ton of potential to possibly go out there and do it again. So, yeah, that's kind of our goal now. Our win this year got us an automatic invite into next year's event. So we will automatically get qualified and be going next year. So, you know, the bar keeps getting set higher and higher. She's been three times. She's made the finals three times. She's won her height three times. So there's always this pressure every time uh, of going back and trying to defend the title. So I'd certainly love to be uh, the first person to repeat the overall win since that hasn't been done before. But there is a lot of great competition at the event. So only time will tell. (laughs) So what goes, um, I guess, into the overall um, preparation and like the day of a tournament or a day of a competition, what is the day of that kind of like? The day of the event, like many sports, at that point you've you've logged your hours, you've done your prepping, you are making sure that you are fit, that you are conditioned, that you are free of injuries, that you're mentally ready, you're physically ready, and it's really more of a management of the mental game. Um, I I think at the day of a competition, typically, you know, the doors will open, we'll start around 7 a.m., 
uh, the, and we'll get in there at 7 a.m. And that's going to be our first opportunity to see what the course is going to be. Um, it's not until that morning that we're able to see the course design. As I mentioned, you're never allowed to run the same course twice. So it is the judge of that day's uh, job to design the course and then judge it as each dog runs it. So one of the first things you do in the morning of a competition is you, you go right away and you try to find access to that course map that's going to show you exactly what the course is. And then as you're looking at it, you're sitting and running through your head, is this a course that plays into my strengths? Is this a course that's going to play into my weaknesses? Is this a course that I think I can manage but I can do in a fast, efficient time? Because any fault at the highest level, any mistake that you make is going to automatically disqualify you. So if the dog knocks the bar, if they take the course out of order, so if they run an off course and, and miss an obstacle, if they refuse an obstacle, so if they go around one of them or if they hesitate at one of them, those are all going to be automatic disqualifications. So it's really about that first initial what's the course look like. Once you see the course, at some point that morning, you will get a chance to walk the course. And basically what this is is that you get eight minutes to go out onto the field without your dog and walk the course and plan your strategy. So the equipment is already out there, their numbers are down, and it's eight minutes for you to decide your plan. What side of the obstacle do you want to be on? What type of cross are you going to do? Where might you try to run ahead versus where might you hang back? Um, and once you've walked your course, that means it's getting pretty close to showtime. So at that point, it is starting to begin the warm-up. So I have a pretty extensive warm-up for Pink, again, really trying to make sure that she is staying as safe and as uh, low risk for injury as possible. So we have a pretty extensive warm-up routine, and then heading out into the run is when it's it's all taking place. You step out there, they have a box, and it'll say ready or it'll say go, and that's when you have to go. That's your moment of, all right, let's go, let's do this. So the electronic timers are going to start the moment the dog crosses the first piece of equipment, and they will stop the moment the last dog finishes. And then you really don't know the results until the very last dog of your division runs because you're all being scored against one another. So you might have the fastest time at the end of your run, but if there's still 10 or 12 or 15 more dogs after you, they have a chance to come and run that course better than you did, faster than you did, and then take over the spot of that top placement. So it really kind of goes in waves throughout the day. A typical day is going to be um, like two to four runs. So you're repeating that several times throughout the day. Westminster is two runs, two preliminary rounds, um, you know, kind of one early morning, one early afternoon, and then those two rounds get scored together to see who advances on to the finals. So they start with 330 dogs at the beginning of the day. 60 of them will go into finals, and then there is a winner from each division. So there's five different divisions, and those five winners of the divisions then get scored together to determine the overall winner for Westminster. That's very unique, and it's very cool to learn about all of this. So I am curious, because I really don't know, what is the general crowd size or general audience of one of these competitions? <laughs> Unfortunately, it's pretty small right now. I mean, Westminster is probably the largest um, that we have here in the United States in terms of what I would call true spectators, <laughs> uh, meaning people that are not also there competing. Our national championship is very large. We have over a thousand dogs. 
you know, probably close to that in terms of handlers, maybe more like 800, 700 handlers because of people running multiple dogs. So when we have a large crowd there, we have a large crowd. We have 500, 400 people, but it's all people that were there competing. It's not what I would call kind of a true spectator sport. But Westminster is actually one of the only events, uh, along with the Purina Incredible Dog Challenge, where we get true spectators. We get people that uh, buy tickets, come to this event, fill the stands, and they aren't there competing. They don't have a vested interest in uh, the outcome, like the exhibitors might, uh, that they are just looking for good entertainment. So I honestly, I don't know the numbers of Westminster. Um, I'm going to guess. Probably like five or 600 people were at Westminster Finals. I could be a little off on that. Um, and that is, again, one of our biggest uh, crowd appearances. It's not a sport that a lot of people are familiar with, and we're certainly trying to grow it. That's why I totally uh, am excited to be on this podcast <laughs> with you and kind of get the word out to people because it is a really, uh, a really unique, as you said, a really unique and fun sport. Now, what went into making the decision to pursue this as a career for you? Very interesting question. Um, it kind of fell into my lap. Um, I achieved pretty significant success in the sport at a pretty young age. Um, I was the first junior handler, which is basically people that are 18 or under. I was the first junior handler to make the American Kennel Club world team. So every year the American Kennel Club uh, has a tryout event and 12 people from the entire United States. Uh, make a team to then be sent over to Europe to compete at the World Championships. And I was the first junior handler to make that team. So I achieved success at a pretty young age. Uh, and when I went to college, I thought, you know, I will help people. I'll kind of share my techniques. I will give people lessons and tips just to kind of work my way through college. Um, and basically, at the end of college, four years later, I had built up enough of a clientele. I was continuing to be successful in the sport, and I was really loving the teaching aspect of it. I was really loving helping people, being part of the journey, seeing their success, that I kind of at that point realized that my client base was large enough that it just seemed to make sense to do this full time. So the competing of agility is really my passion, my hobby. It's what I love. Teaching agility is uh, kind of what I do professionally. There's not enough of a, uh, there's not enough money into it to only compete and make a living as a professional agility exhibitor. Um, but it is pretty common to see a lot of the exhibitors choose to do it professionally and, and help out others that are up and coming in the sport. Now, unique question and a fun question, I guess, here. What is Pink's favorite dog treat? not picky um so <laughs> this is kind of kind of i'll give you a little, little warning on this kind of grosses people out but she's on a raw diet so basically what that means is she only eats raw meat for her meals so breakfast and dinner it's raw meat it's like any kind of raw meat bones muscle uh turkey neck you know gizzards liver beef heart that's kind of what her meals are so she uh, she will eat really anything you give her. I mean, I, I feel like if you put down a bowl of uh, raw meat and the dogs gobble that up, they're probably going to eat close to anything. I tend to make her these little turkey meatballs. It's actually just kind of like a human turkey meatball recipe that we make for big events. Um, and she really likes those. I think it's probably all just the garlic uh, that's in them that makes them smell really good. So, But she is not a picky eater. But I will tell you, she will choose a toy over food almost any time. <laughs> 
So my final question for you is a unique one in this scenario in the sport as well. But what, when it's all said and done your career as a dog trainer and Pink's career even, what do you want your legacy to be? Wow, okay, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> you know, right now, it, and maybe my answer will change down the road. Maybe if you asked me five years ago, um, it would be different as well. But right now, what I'm trying to do with the sport, and I think um, Pink is allowing me the platform to do this, is to let agility be exposed to the rest of the world. Um, coming from a dog background, uh, being in dogs and dog training my whole life, I'm familiar with that aspect of uh, dogs, that, that aspect, the agility aspect of canine sports. But it's not a common sport. It's not something that you hear about. It's, it's, you talk about, oh, I do dog agility for a living, and people are like, oh, what's that? And I think if I had to think of one thing that I really want to be remembered for, I guess I want to say pink, it's, it's getting the rest of the world to know about agility. And I'm not talking that it should be prime time on ESPN, although that would be super cool, <laughs> but it, I want it to be a more well-known sport. Um, you know, there's a lot of sports that have grown um, over the years. I, I laugh now when I see, like, cornhole tournaments on ESPN or, you know, these these sports that just have grown. And I really want to use the, the Westminster win and the success that Pink has given me to expose people about the sport, you know, trying to um, let as many kind of non-dog agility people know about it, know that it's out there, know that it's really cool. Um, you know, we know horse racing is pretty well known. That gets televised quite uh, majorly for um, all the Triple Crown stuff. Um, and again, you know, it'd be great if agility got to that point one day, but I think being able to be on great shows like yours or getting on the news, getting on the radio. Um, we've been trying to do a lot with, I'm a co-host uh, of podcasts as well through Bad Dog Agility, and we've been trying to get, you know, the information out there through our podcast and our information. And, and I guess that's what I want to do. I want, I want to make it a more well-known sport. It's not really, to me, it's not really about me and my legacy or Pink's legacy. It's about what we can do to grow the sport and have people learn about it, know about it, and hopefully get more and more people addicted and out there training and competing and showing and, and having a good time with their dogs. Well, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to come on and educate me about this sport and educate the audience as well. It's very cool and unique, and I hope a lot of people tune in and take the opportunity to watch and follow you guys as well. So I do want to give you the opportunity before we close out to plug your social medias, plug the podcast, plug wherever you can find out more information about the sport as well. Yeah, absolutely, and I appreciate that. So as I mentioned, I'm a co-host of a podcast called Bad Dog Agility, and we have uh, to date 246 different podcasts, uh, 1.3 million downloads. We are a great resource talking anything and all things dog agility, sometimes basic dog training even. Um, so I can be found there for the agility. That's Bad Dog Agility. We're on Instagram. Uh, you can find our podcast. You can go to our website. Uh, but Pink herself, she has uh, created enough fame that she has her own Instagram page. So you can find her at 
Pink the Border Collie or Pink the BC um, on Instagram. And I just try to post a lot of fun videos and photos, clips of her training, things that she's been up to, her recent romp in the mud and being covered in filthy, uh, <laughs> showing highlights of our wins. So, you know, it's certainly trying to uh, expose as much information to people and, uh, you know, again, find us on all those social media platforms. And I'd love to hear from some of you guys or answer any of your questions that you guys might have. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Pink the Border Collie and her trainer, Jen Crank. Thank you guys for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Hello, what is up? Welcome to another edition of Senior Spotlight. On today's episode, two guys who are friends of the show. First, Andrew Lounsbury. He committed to Oneonta to study media studies and communications. Andrew, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good, actually. Quarantine's... And... Sorry. My bad. No, no, keep going, keep going, keep going. My, my bad. <laughs> and Brandon, he committed to Cortland to study sports management. Brandon, how's it going? What up, what up? All right, so thank you guys both for coming on. So starting with your guys' senior year. Unfortunately, it was cut short, but looking back at the year you guys each had individually, Andrew, starting with you, what was your favorite memory from this favorite year? Favorite memory? Oh, boy. Um, I I don't know. Honestly, probably I, – I really enjoyed playing on the football team this year because it's something that I had never done before. And I, I've always been interested in it, but I didn't take that risk to actually play until this year, which was kind of stupid because, again, I've never played before. <laughs> but, no, I, I really enjoyed it, and I really had fun with all the guys. Awesome. Now, Brandon, you – a lot of success this year, especially with cross-country and indoor track. Of Not even just those, beyond everything else, what was your favorite memory if you had to pinpoint one from your senior year? I mean, to be honest, I think it would probably be – making states for cross country this year it was a goal of mine heading into the season and I was able to achieve it and on top of that I went to go I went to Plattsburgh with a bunch of great friends and even though I ran a bad race it was still an unforgettable moment for me that's really cool you very very well there and you did very well your whole cross country career so much success or much congratulations to you. you and same thing for you Andrew with football and with acting as well now looking at unfortunately the circumstances that surrounded the senior year is there anything that it taught you guys I guess as a lesson like some of the former seniors who have come on the show has said it taught them a little bit about like appreciating more not taking as much for granted starting with you Brandon is there anything you kind of pull away from this crazy situation yeah I think you got it with taking things for granted because I remember you know almost every day for me I'm just sitting in class wanting to you know not be in school and here we are all at home not going to school and this is you know I want to go back and you know don't have that don't have the opportunity for the rest of the year and you know it is what it is you move on trying to not get too caught up in it Andrew how about you um I, I agree with Brandon about you know uh trying to not get caught up in everything like that and uh it has been hard you know, not first not wanting to go to school every day and now wanting to go back to school every day. But I think what I what I really took from this whole thing the most was um, I really need to work on my motivation and like self-motivation and try to, I don't know, <laughs> try, try to tell myself to actually get up and do the things that I should be doing instead of doing nothing with my time. Makes sense. That's definitely an issue that's 
not just isolated to you. It's definitely something a lot of more people have to deal with, especially with this whole situation and a lot of self-accountability. So it's definitely something a lot of people are going to pull away from this and a different answer from what a lot of people have said. Now, looking at where you guys plan to spend the next four years or more of your guys' education, starting with Andrew, what made Oneonta the fit for you? Honestly, uh, what I was most concerned about looking for the college that I want to go into right away was price because we did save quite a bit of money um, for my college education and that that took away from a lot of financial aid that we could receive so you know I don't I don't really have the means to go to some of the schools that I'd like to go to but I'm hoping to you know go to Oneonta uh, plant my foot in the ground and you know get get some traction with the media and communications field and then possibly transfer to a bigger school where they have more opportunities for what I'm interested in that's awesome. Now, Brandon, you went to another school with the Dragons as the mascot, but you went to Cortland. Why was Cortland the pick for you? Um, I think the main reason for me for Cortland was soon as I got to the campus and did the college tour with a couple of my friends, I just leaving the campus, I had a really good and a really good strong feeling about it, almost to the point where I was like, "This is the college," and it wasn't the same story for the other colleges. So I, I think I was pretty much set on. Cortland as soon as I you know went went there and visited and you know we all have dream a dream college but you know it's SUNY Cortland's the cheapest option for me so I'm uh I'm happy and ready for it that's awesome now looking at beyond college if you had to give yourself a 10-year goal just maybe one even if there's a couple you want to say for yourself, whether it be professionally or whether it be even just finishing college and planting your foot in the ground, as you just said too, Andrew. So starting with you, mm-hmm. Andrew, what would be a 10-year goal of yours? Honestly, I, I want to be doing what I enjoy, but I, I don't I don't want to take too many risks in order to do that. So I want to be financially stable as well. So I, I want to I be happy and living comfortably at the same time, basically. Now, Brandon, what about think, you? Like I said, my goal is basically the same thing, like what Andrew said. When you know, once graduate from college, hopefully, you know, not worrying about too many problems and you know, just living a good life and hope hope everything's going to be well. Now, my final question for each of you is a kind of big one. I think you might have answered this in the past when you came on, Andrew. I don't know if I asked you this, but. As times have changed, especially with the current gravity of the situation of our world and with you guys now graduating and each of you guys really haven't been on in a long time. So your answers could have shifted here. So starting with you, Brandon, when it's all said and done, I guess your life as a whole, what do you want your legacy to be? Uh, My legacy? I don't know. That's a good question. Definitely, you know, I definitely want to be remembered as a guy that was helpful to others and try to get the job done the best he could. <laughs> I know I didn't <laughs> do that all the time, but uh, trying to just, you know, always be there for somebody that, you know, needs someone or just a good guy in general. And I think, I think that's what I hope my legacy would be. Now, Andrew, what about you? What do you want your legacy? Um, I think for the most part, I just want to be remembered as a good person. Um, 
I, I mean, that's pretty much it. I, you know, I, I want to be someone that is there for other people. Um, but I, I also want to, you know, do things to impact my success as well. Like, I, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to be known for something as well. So like, I, I want to be a, a, a good guy and also have like my own thing that I'm kind of known for. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, first thing before we finish here, unfortunately, your guys' senior year was cut short. And looking back on it, it's going to be different than what you guys expected. But I think that you guys, specifically talking about just you two, accomplished a lot throughout high school. I mean, Andrew, how many shows did you star in for whether it be musical, drama, or anything else? Um, I think, well, in high school, I, I only starred in three, I believe. Because I, I, I didn't do my freshman or senior shows uh, just because I wasn't interested in the material. Um, but... Yeah, I, I uh, three of them. The, uh, this year I did the drama, and last year I did the musical, and the year before I did the musical, the sound of music and the little shop of horrors. So for those of you that don't know, not only is Andrew very good on stage with the acting and the singing, he also has a music career outside of high school and school as a whole where he is on SoundCloud producing some very good music. So I will give you the opportunity to plug that quick before we end off here, Andrew. And then we got to get to you a little bit here. All right. Um, So my, my SoundCloud is uh, under the name Skippy and um, the profile picture is green on SoundCloud because there's like 600 Skippies. So I'm just going to give that little piece of information, but yeah, that's, that's, that's it. So thank you, Dylan, for letting me, for letting me plug that. Now, Brandon, talking about your high school success, yours was more on the field and running. You were involved in indoor track, involved in outdoor track, and involved in cross country. And in all three, you had a lot of success. Obviously, looking back on that, you're now heading to Cortland where I'm presuming, and I guess you can kind of disclose this to the audience, you're going to continue that career. Yeah, I just want to say one thing, though. You missed, you missed one thing when you were talking about my, the high, my high school oh, sports career. <laughs> In ninth grade, I made the JV basketball team. That's what's up. Yes, Brandon. <laughs> but then quit to do track. <laughs> that decision I've thought of, but I think in the long run, I think it's definitely the, the better decision. I still got it, though. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to put that out there. I can still hoop. Yeah, I, I can attest to that. I've been playing basketball with Brandon, and uh, he's been he's been sinking almost every shot. So Word. Word. Oh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So, Brandon, you traded in your basketball shoes for a pair of running shoes, and you had a lot of success throughout high school. So you'll now be continuing that career at Cortland. Best of luck to you. And it's been pleasure from a friend's standpoint as well to watch you grow up as a runner in the past few years. And that goes for both of you and both your endeavors. And I'm excited to see what both of you guys do with your college career and beyond that, because I think you guys are both going to have a lot of success. So before we end off here, I do want to give you the opportunity to plug your social media as Andrew, you just plugged the SoundCloud, but you can plug your YouTube, whatever uh, else you have. So I'll start with you. And then Brandon, you uh, everything I have well. is under Skippy midnight. I mean, that's pretty, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's about it. There's not, there's not much else. And Brandon, right, what about well, you? my Instagram's, Brandon.mancrony, Brandon, B-R-A-N-D-O-N. 
and then Mancroni, M-A-N-C-R-O-N-I. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Brandon Mancroni and Andrew Lounsbury, a.k.a. Skippy Midnight. Thank Thanks again, guys. Thank you. I'm going to buy some merch from you real soon. Yeah, I will too. Once I have enough money from my music. <laughs> <laughs> and that is that. So thank you guys for coming on, and I this will be out in tomorrow's for episode. Sure. Word, uh, word. <laughs> I also I also want to uh, thank you, Dylan, for you know like letting us come on the show, and I I do want to say that it has been you know uh, very cool to see you know you your your podcast grow the way that it has because like you're ta- you're talking to people that you know m- most people from Monticello would like never get the chance to talk to, and I think that that's really great. And, um, you know, your podcast is like a big thing. So good job, dude. And I'm excited to see more from you. Yeah, facts. Thank Why don't we go on golf then? <laughs> uh, All right. Well, thank you guys for coming on. <laughs>once again, I want to thank Andrew Lounsbury and Brandon Mancroni for taking the time to come on Ambitious. It was a lot of fun to sit down with them and reflect on their experiences and look forward to their futures. And best of luck to both of them. Excited to see what they both can do in their futures. also want to thank Jennifer and Pink for coming on and educating me about the dog competition world. It was very cool to learn their story and learn about Pink's recent success. So excited to see what they do in the future as well. Reminder, you can find us on Instagram at Ambitious Podcast, Twitter at Ambitious with DP, YouTube Ambitious with Dylan Price. Stay tuned there. Some really cool content coming in the coming in the upcoming weeks on there and reminder you can listen wherever you listen to podcasts being apple podcast spotify stitcher hard knocks whatever the podcasting platforms are just reminder you can find us there have a great week everybody and stay tuned next week